0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hi everyone, this is the Yale University Press Podcast and I'm Michael Hoke. On July 14, 2015, the five permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, China, France, Russia, United Kingdom, United States, plus Germany, signed the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, with Iran. You probably know it as the Iran deal. Last Friday, President Trump stated that due to Iran's violation of the spirit of the deal, he would decertify it. Here to tell us about the deal, the background, the controversy, and what decertification means for Iran, the U.S., and the rest of the world is Trita Parsi. Trita is president of the National Iranian-American Council. He teaches at Johns Hopkins University and at the Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University and is the author of numerous books, including his latest, Losing an Enemy, Obama, Iran, and the Triumph of Diplomacy. Trita, thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. To start, what what is the Iran deal? I think people know the name and have heard it in the news lately. Um, what is it and how did it come about? So the
0: Iran deal is essentially a different name for what is called the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. It was a major, major negotiation that in total lasted 12 years, but the most intense period where there actually was breakthroughs was in the last two years of that 12-year span. And it achieved two rather remarkable things in one move. It took two bad scenarios off the table. The scenario of the United States seeing Iran moving towards a nuclear weapon, having access to a nuclear weapons option, and the scenario of the United States going to war with Iran. And by doing this, the United States ensured that This nuclear issue that had been defined by the Israelis, at least rhetorically, as an existential issue was actually dealt with effectively. So one of the major benefits from the Iranian perspective, except, of course, that they uh, got some sanctions relief and that they continue to have an enrichment program, although just a peaceful one, was that this also recognized Iran as a major player in the region, one that the United States had to negotiate with rather than one that it could just coerce and contain into doing what it wanted. For the Iranians, this was an important victory. I think from the US perspective, frankly, it was a recognition of a reality that you simply had to deal with. The idea that you could ignore Iran or that you could treat it as a minor country would ultimately not succeed anyways.
1: And you said it took uh, about 12 years with the last two sort of being um, the biggest push. So this started uh, before the Obama administration. Why did it take so long to come about? And uh, what made it sort of pick up in the last two years?
0: Well, part of the reason why it took so long uh, is because from the U.S. side, there was a very, very strong um, view that the United States had the power to completely force the Iranians to give up their enrichment program, going to what was called the zero enrichment objective. And I think the U.S. kind of miscalculated there. The Iranians were willing to absorb a tremendous amount of pain, but they were not going to give up something that they believed to be their sovereign right. And it wasn't until that issue got resolved in secret negotiations in Oman that there was truly a breakthrough. Perhaps one could argue that a deal could have been achieved earlier if there had been willingness to adopt a more realistic position on that front rather than waiting as long as we did. On the other hand, it's also understandable that a completely zero enrichment objective does look more attractive from a U.S. perspective, and the U.S. did not want to forsake that option until it had absolutely ensured itself that it was not achievable.
1: What was the general feeling about the deal at the time it was signed?
0: Well, in the broader international community, this was strongly welcomed. I mean, this was a very popular deal. This was an achievement, in my view, a triumph of diplomacy. The U.N. Security Council adopted a resolution unanimously all endorsing the deal, There were only three places, essentially, where this was problematic and controversial. One was in the prime minister's office in Israel, where the political establishment was very much against it, even though the security establishment uh, actually increasingly was warming up to the deal. It was a problem and a controversy in the palace of the Saudi king, who did not want to see the United States have any deal with Iran that would end the U.S.'s containment policy. They wanted the United States to completely isolate and contain and essentially fight Saudi Arabia's rivalry with Iran for them. And it was controversial amongst Republicans in Congress who opposed this for various reasons, one being that they opposed almost everything Obama did, as we also can see quite clearly now.
1: And um for for Israel uh you said the security council uh liked it but the establishment the political establishment didn't um what did the what did the security council like about it
0: so the security establishment in Israel recognized that this actually was a very effective deal it really did prevent Iran from being able to get a nuclear bomb it was very cleverly negotiated uh and as a result net benefit for the Israelis was quite clear. From Netanyahu's perspective, it was a little bit more um, complicated. He had positioned himself as the only person in Israel that could save Israel from what he had defined as an existential threat. After having essentially come to personify the argument that this Iran problem is an existential threat, it was very difficult for him politically to go back and say and oh by the way we found a compromise if this is an existential threat the only way to deal with it was to eliminate it so he had put himself in a corner in which was very difficult for him to get out of it if ehud barak had been the israeli prime minister at the time someone who since 1991 has been on record over and over again saying iran is not an existential threat to israel iran is a problem iran is a challenge but not an existential threat I think there's a decent chance that the Israeli uh, government might have taken a different position because the flexibility of the prime minister would have been different. The Israelis wanted there to be no enrichment in Iran at all, meaning that there couldn't be a single spinning centrifuge. That was an extremely unrealistic position, the same position that the Bush administration adopted, which ensured that there wasn't a deal during Bush's time. They wanted to make sure that inspections would go beyond nuclear sites and that essentially the Iranians would be forced to open up all of their military sites as well for inspections regularly. Um, But bottom line is the Israelis just didn't want a deal because any deal would reduce U.S.-Israeli-Iranian tensions without necessarily reducing Iranian-Israeli tensions. And they believed that this would leave them feeling abandoned in the region in which they would continue to have some tensions with Iran, but the United States would no longer be an automatic and full partner in an Israeli or Saudi policy confronting Iran, because the United States would have resolved its main problem with Iran, and then it would move on to other issues or to other regions.
1: And uh, and for Republicans in in the U.S., what what would the, what would their chief complaint be other than? Uh, just direct opposition to an Obama policy?
0: Well, they repeated what the Israeli prime minister said, but for them there was also an additional, very interesting angle. This was an opportunity for them to present themselves as being stronger on Israel than the Democratic Party. They would be more pro-Israel than the Democrats were. And this is not necessarily because they believed that they would be able to shift over a significant amount of the Jewish American vote because that vote has overwhelmingly been Democrat and will continue to be so. But this was part of a larger strategy of winning over pro-Israeli hawks who were major donors to the Democratic Party and make sure that they shifted over to the Republican Party. So in many ways, it has far more to do with politics and portraying Obama as weak on Israel than it had anything to do with actually the details of the deal. Again, I'm not saying the deal is perfect, but it is a deal that was overwhelmingly endorsed by the scientific community, who actually was involved in ensuring that any structure of the deal would be such that the Iranians simply wouldn't have a chance to cheat. It's been endorsed by several Nobel laureates in this field. I was recently at a conference in Illinois with nuclear scientists who made it clear that opposition to the deal inside the nuclear scientific community is viewed and is seen as, as irrational as denying that there is a climate change uh, process going on in the world right now. It is an extremely extreme minority within that scientific community that opposes this deal and these are people of course who know how to build a nuclear bomb in their basement so they know a thing or two about these <laughs> things
1: and as far as the the key players in uh, in brokering this deal who who were the key players uh, John Kerry obviously played a large role um, but what were who were some of the other key players and what and what were they what was their reaction to the deal uh, happening and the recent uh, news of decertification?
0: So, Russia, China, the European Union, France, Germany, and the UK were critical players in this. They were all part of this negotiation. That's why this is a multilateral negotiation, not one that the US bilaterally struck with Iran. And as a result, um, it would be very strange for the u.s to think that he can just terminate that deal as donald trump has said that he could or that he would because this is one that the u.s was part of an agreement with several other countries and not something he was doing on his own and these countries really played a critical role in different phases of this negotiation and they own this success just as much as the obama administration did
1: and uh a big factor here is um is compliance there's a there's a a factor here of Iran needs to be compliant in order to keep this this deal. What, what does Iran need to do to be compliant? Of course, compliance is absolutely essential. This
0: deal would never, ever be able to succeed had it not been for a very strong verification and inspections regime. And fortunately, in eight consecutive reports, the IAEA, which is the Atomic International Atomic Energy Agency, which is the referee of this issue, which is the one who oversaw this program and that is doing the inspections, have made clear that Iran is fully in compliance with the deal. This is part of the reason why it's been so difficult for the Trump administration to try to get out of this deal, because they cannot claim that Iran is in violation. Instead, the president has said that President Trump has said that Iran is in violation of the spirit of the deal. No one knows what the spirit of the deal is. When it comes to the deal, it's the deal. It's 100-plus pages. It's very clear what it says. And Iran is fully in compliance right now. One could actually make an argument that it is the Trump administration that is in violation, because Article 29 says that the sanctions that have been lifted are such that the U.S. no country can actually stand in the way of the trade that now is permissible. But that's exactly what Donald Trump did when he went to the G20 meeting and encouraged other states not to trade with Iran.
1: As a, as a multilateral agreement um, between the major players in the world, um, is there, should the U.S. be worried about any recourse if it is, in fact, uh, that the Trump administration is, is violating the agreement in decertifying it?
0: So at this point, the decertification itself is not necessarily a violation because it's an internal American matter. But if it leads to a scenario in which the U.S. snaps back sanctions or does tries to change the terms of the deal unilaterally, then the U.S. is in violation of the deal. And that's part of the reason why even members of Donald Trump's own administration don't want the U.S. to go that far, because they recognize what a tremendously um what a tremendously high cost that would be for the United States if it is the one that violates the deal.
1: And to clarify, what does what does decertification mean? You said it's an internal US matter. So what is what is exactly involved here in, in decertifying?
0: Essentially the president goes to Congress, which he has to do every three months and say, certify as to whether Iran, if this deal is still in the interest of the United States, which is based on Iran's living up to the agreement, but is also in the internal U.S. government mechanism based on whether Trump believes that the sanctions relief is proportionate to uh, what has been achieved. And Trump has essentially gone back and said, Iran is technically in compliance, but they're violating the spirit of the deal. I don't like Iran. Uh, Iran has done bad things in the past against the U.S., so I'm decertifying it. The matter then goes to Congress, who has 60 days to, under expedited rules, snap back sanctions. If it does so, the U.S. is clearly violating the deal, and the risk is that the deal as a whole will collapse.
1: And so that was last week. So what what is the sort of feeling uh, in the Capitol as to how this might go over the next 60 days?
0: There's a, a lot of nervousness here. There's a lot of people who may not have liked the deal for various reasons, but they also recognize that it would be tremendously dangerous if the U.S. were to um, if the U.S. were to decertify and completely walk out. So we're in an era right now of a bit of uncertainty. I personally think that the way Trump has presented this makes it quite clear that he is intending to kill this deal. He said that he either wants Congress to impose sanctions and new restrictions that will ensure that Yvonne actually doesn't stay in the deal by uh, changing the terms of the deal into things that will ensure that Yvonne absolutely will say no. And if Congress doesn't do this, then Trump said that he will certainly kill the deal himself. So either Congress kills the deal or he kills the deal. There's no other option that Trump is putting forward. The only option that exists is the one to ensure, uh, is one in which the rest of the world decides not to go along with Trump and stands firm and defends the deal.
1: And if Congress decides not to kill it, would, uh, would Trump do this through an executive order, or is there some other mechanism?
0: He can do it through executive order himself, or Congress can pass it, through the expedited process that now has been put into place.
1: And what is the response to decertification and the potential for this deal, for the U.S. to back out of this deal? What, what's the response among uh, U.S. allies and among the, the people who, the other countries who brokered this deal?
0: Oh, they're absolutely devastated. And they've been lobbying quite hard to try to convince the Trump administration not to do this. Even the Brits that otherwise are very, very close to the U.S. and tend to really avoid having these type of differences with the U.S. publicly have been very clear. They believe this is a strong deal. It needs to be protected. And just to give you an example, the French president, Macron, just announced that he's traveling to Iran earlier next year. This would be the first visit by a French president to Iran since... 1976. So the idea that Trump is convincing these countries to take on a tougher position against Iran and essentially go for a new negotiation clearly is not working out because they are deliberately and in front of him, in defiance of him, moving in the opposite direction.
1: Will the ending of this deal lead to a uh, a nuclear Iran, or does this just further isolate the U.S. on the global stage?
0: If the United States breaks steel deal, there unfortunately is a risk that Iran would restart uh, very sensitive parts of its nuclear program, which I don't think necessarily they would go for a bomb, but they certainly would go for having the option of building a bomb. And that in and of itself would be very dangerous, and it would increase the risk of war once more. In the process, the United States will definitely find itself very isolated. It already is. Because we took a functioning deal, a deal that was delivering, and Trump turned it into a crisis. No one in the international community outside of the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Israel is supporting him as he's
1: doing this. All right. Well, the book is Losing an Enemy, Obama, Iran, and the Triumph of Diplomacy. Trita, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for this week's episode of the Yale University Press Podcast. Thank you for listening. Find us at YaleBooks.com or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And while you're there, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a rating if you like what we're doing.